All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, everybody. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And this is No Filter. Women owning it online. This is our special series in collaboration with New York Magazine's The Cut. All this week, we've been talking to badass women about how they construct, manipulate, engage, and sometimes ignore their online identities. Today, a legend. The one, the only, Barbara Kruger. Visual artist, feminist pioneer, a woman with no website but who was making art with 140 characters or less way before it was cool. And to help me explain Barbara's impact is this feminist legend in the making. Stella Bugby, president and editor-in-chief of The Cut. Stella Bugby, president and editor-in-chief of The Cut. If that's not the coolest title, if you're a woman living in New York City, I'm not sure what is, Stella. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So I have to say this whole week has been amazing, but today's finale is pretty exciting. We've got the artist Barbara Kruger um, wrapping it up. The Cut actually published a piece called Barbara Kruger Forever, which (laughs) I love that title so much. For those people who maybe don't know Barbara Kruger or think they don't know Barbara Kruger, can you just describe her? So Barbara is one of my all-time favorite artists, and I've been following her career from the beginning And she stems from a sort of graphic tradition. She does poster-like images, which you've probably seen. One is, I shop, therefore I am. That's sort of a very famous one, holding the credit card. Another very famous one is, your body is a battleground. It's always black and white. It's always high contrast. She works in the vernacular of advertising and even copywriting. And she has become sort of a meme recently, like in the era of social media, despite the fact that she has no social media accounts herself. The internet sort of seems made for Barbara, but Barbara's like, as you'll hear in the interview, like, "Mm, (laughs) no thanks. Barbara's genius is that she is able to distill everything down to these very simple sentences and simple statements Like, you might take them at face value, but they have a lot of depth underneath them. And so in the era of Instagram quote cards and tweets, they kind of fit right into that pithy, very short statement sort of genre of writing and reading. And yet she's been doing it for so much longer that she has a great command over the message. So what might seem like a little tiny throwaway thing, I shop, therefore I am, is actually quite profound. and Says it all. And also she has a really good sense of humor. And this is an era <laughs> in which that is prized very greatly, where you can be quick-witted in a short form, and that's sort of her genius. So she fits perfectly into this moment. I think like all great artists, she sort of was of her time, but also ahead of her time, and so is now coming into 
her full appreciation. Yeah, I think she's in her 70s now. We were pretty surprised that she said yes to doing this interview, actually. I'm not surprised no? that she said no, because she's so culturally savvy and is always had her finger on the pulse of everything that's going on. I felt like she said yes to the interview because she just, she was like, oh, yes, uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, let's listen. So we wanted to talk to you because it's almost as though your art predicted the internet in some way. You've even said that you understand short attention spans and so you know how to get people's attention. Oh, yeah. I understand quick readings and I worked at magazines as a young woman and I knew that if you didn't get people to look at that page, you were fired. I have no college degrees, no undergraduate degrees, no graduate degrees. I never really thought I could call myself an artist. The art worlds, I'd like to pluralize that, have been globalized. And in these days, many more people can call themselves artists, regardless of their gender or their color or their class. Still a struggle. But that would have been unheard of even 40 years ago, 50 years ago for sure. So I'm trying to think, can you remember when the Internet first came into your life? Oh, gee, I can't remember. Um, it was news groups, alt groups, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that, and mainly uh, text-based in a big way. Right. And, well, did that appeal to you? Uh, I don't know so much appeal. It was an instrument and remains one of how we live our lives for good and bad and all in between. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you are not a social media user, and in fact, you don't even have your own website. Is that right? Right. Somebody bought my name. But, I mean, I follow things online So all you're the time. on those platforms? Yeah, not all of them. But I'm not enlisted. <laughs> and, of course, I go online every morning, just like I still turn on the TV every morning, too, and look at my phone and working various screens at once. You said something earlier that more people today can refer to themselves as an artist. I think a lot of people do think of themselves as artists, that many of us are on Instagram and curating the perfect meal or the perfect pose or trying to capture moments so that we can present them to the world. That's what an artist does in a way, right? No, not necessarily. I mean, you use the term curating, and it's interesting because that's a term that came out of art subcultures but now is totally viable, it seems, for any way of collecting and gathering and reflecting oneself, what one loves, what one hates, what one ate. I think that basically one of the situations or, quote, challenges, unquote, today is, is it possible to live one's life without doing it through a lens or seeing it reflected on a screen? It's a kind of collision of narcissism and voyeurism, which is the way people see themselves and others. The whole notion of leading, quote, an examined life. People can examine their life through their eyebrows or the color lipstick they wear. And that's who they want to portray, their image of perfection, where they went, how they look, the moisturizer they're using. And, um, you know, it's all about me. I mean you. I mean me, you know. 
if you are on Instagram and you see that people have taken your ways of doing art and turned them into their own for social media platforms or whatever else, does it bother you in any way? No. I mean, I never thought I'd be part of the conversation, the discourse. I never thought people would know my name or my work. I think I've always been interested in the issues and contestations around copyright and who owns images and who owns text. Not that I don't feel there should be a copyright to a degree, but so-called intellectual property warrings are just frequently stand-ins for corporate control on a certain level. And I think I'm amused by the litigious activity of so-called outside groups or uh, people who build their logo out of being bad are suing each other under the most sort of corporatized circumstances. I got to give you props for having the best response to um, one sort of discussion that you've been about, which is Supreme, the skatewear brand who used your style of art for its own branding and then decided to sue someone else who also was using it. Yeah, and who was claiming, you know, feminism, whatever. Listen, I have no problems with any of that. I find it amusing. It's such a small example of the insanities and the ways we war and adore and contest and abhor each other. This is a little example of the battles of social relations. Look at the world today. It's just full of ironies and horrors and punishments. And this is like a little sideshow. But I've always said that I try to do my work about how we are to one another. And this is like a little hors d'oeuvre in that serving, you know. But I'm not concerned about any of it. I want to go back to the idea of intellectual property because it's something I've been thinking a lot about. For me, having a podcast was a a moment of understanding that I had my own voice. But now I've started to think about what does it mean when women find their voice but they don't own it? Does it matter? Because Facebook owns everything that they're posting or Instagram does. Does a woman need to own her voice? You're saying you don't mind if someone co-opts your style. No, I'm just saying that what am I going to do, copyright a typeface? I'll let them play out that frivolous, ridiculous game. But I think also the issue of when you choose to picture yourself, that's one thing. When you choose to post it online, you know, you are pretty much opening the spigot for access. So do you think that Anyone should hold back from posting or just no, question no, themselves? Let no, them, let them do it if it makes them feel good. Look at them. You like me. You really like me. How many <laughs> likes do you have? You friend me. You know, it, haters, lovers, Instagram posts. You look gorgeous. I love it. I love your hair today. Your bod looks great. It makes people feel good. Likes. It makes me feel icky. Like, just even the way you're saying it right now makes me feel super icky. But again, it's an observation because we all need likes. We all have ego constructions. There's nothing evil or bad about that. I find it interesting the way it plays out considering the media that we have access to today. No judgment, or maybe just a little. More from the twisting, tantalizing, tremendous mind of Barbara Kruger. It's after this. 
We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Samarodi. This is our special series, Day 5, No Filter, Women Owning It Online, with New York Magazine's The Cut. I'm talking to Barbara Kruger, the artist whose red, white, and black graphic style is a meme online right now. Barbara herself has an AOL email address and uses mostly the internet to view, not to share. But that online world, it's not all bad, you know? One thing that I do think the internet has done well is uh, the Me Too moment. Do you think the, back to the sort of attention span thing, do you think that like Me Too sort of made it pithy, made it, I mean, Me Too had existed before, but now there was really a vocabulary, a way for women to find each other, to connect, and to have a shorthand for a lot of issues. Sure, of course. And that's how social media works to um, build so-called communities. I can't use that word without quotes because it means so many things to so many different people. But it's a way of organizing. Organizing on the left, organizing in the middle, organizing on the right. I mean, as long as you don't stay within your bubble, within your bookmarks, you can learn about why the world looks and feels like it does today. Every time I hear people say they're shocked at what's going on, it just makes me nuts because it's that failure of imagination that has led us to where we are today. I'm not shocked by any of this. I have been aware of Donald Trump for at least 35 years. And Trump understands short attention spans. He knows how to communicate. Many people who he hires know how to spit it out short and sweet. I listen to people on the left in the middle. They can't even put a subject and a predicate together. They lose even me. He has a very economic way of speaking. I'm certainly not saying I am agreeing with anything he's saying. But I am certainly not surprised that people have fallen to his thrall. I really think people have to think a lot about power and how it determines their days and nights and to think strategically about how they can make a change. Every time I hear someone say they vote their conscience, I just, I can't stand it because Mm. the world is so much bigger than their narcissistic conscience. (laughs) You know, their image of perfection might be one that makes them feel good and polishes their halo. But you know what? It might not prevail, and it might bring us diminishment of voting rights, of women's rights, of First Amendment rights. It's all about a strategic way of thinking about power and how to make the world more generative and less brutal, greedy place. It's interesting that the concepts of consumerism have certainly changed with this generation and in part because of sharing economy and that I shop, therefore I am. That was from you. And now I feel like that has finally sunk in in some ways. We don't want to define ourselves by our things and that there is a change that's happening there. Yeah. You know, those changes are very much predicted on a certain level by class and race and gender. You know, you can't say that there is a specific change. That change is acted out in different ways by different people in different social and economic positions. It's very complicated, you know. I know you know. Why do I say I don't know. No, that's why I want to talk to you. I mean, it's so interesting. Even speaking, people say, you know, you know, you know. (laughs) And uh, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know? 
I mean, between you know and up talk and vocal fry, it's there's so much of all this stuff that indicates class and hope and desire and projection of who we are in the world through the way we look and through the way we talk. <laughs> I'm made up of that too. Nobody can escape the suppositions and containments of stereotype. It's a, a brutal form. The one thing that I really have been hearing a lot from young women is how, as much as it's, you know, about their ego and getting likes and all of those things, a lot of them are struggling with this constant comparison to someone else, the constant need to post to the point that they are living their lives for the likes, for the whatever, and they're getting anxious and depressed. What are they anxious and depressed about, do you think? I think it's because when you're young, you're taking the time to figure out who you are, and they're already telling people who they are, but they don't really know. And so they're constantly questioning themselves. Is this who I am? Is this who I should be? Is this okay? But it's not just questioning. It's performative. And I think it's the performative, which has really veneered our lives in the past 15, 20 years, that not only do we ask questions, they're questions we might not even ask if we weren't performing them through our posts, through our representations and presentations. But it's always been that way to a degree. What we wear, where we live, what we own, who we love, they're always sort of telling indicators of who we think we are in the world. And now that's just been sort of um, amplified to such a degree through social media. It's just how it's changed the way we come to the world and the world comes to us. And I include myself in this. So it's not necessarily a crisis. Perhaps. I think the crisis is the way our opinion of ourselves has been externalized to such a degree. Just the absolute naming of likes, of thumbs up and thumbs down, of friends, that is an externalization of our hopes and fears and desires and pleasures in such a palpable, literal way. Do you have advice? Can you give a young woman advice? No, absolutely not. I'm not an expert at this kind of navigation and I mean, it would be great if we could all live forever with a minimum amount of pain. Mm -hmm. I like this ride. And I think that the degree to which we adore ourselves or diminish ourselves is always a reflection of uh, who we are and where we come from. I love this ride, too, and I'm honored to have taken, like, a little loop with you. So thank you for that. OMG. (laughs) 100% Barbara. Okay. Barbara Kruger, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Stella, you can tell that I felt kind of flustered a little bit with her, but also, like, I wanted to wring all the wisdom out of her that I could possibly get her to impart. Was there any particular section or something she said that really struck you? The thing that I continue to appreciate about her and what I think gives her staying power is that she is critical, like a real critic, but not judgmental at an individual Mm. level. So 
while she feels insightful about culture, she does not feel as though she's personally attacking anyone. And I was particularly impressed in this interview with her kind of willingness to just say this is how it is and not bring to it a whole lot of anger or judgment. So when she's looking at young women, you feel that she's analyzing our situation Mm. without blaming the women for the circumstances they find themselves in online. You know, the issues of the Me Too movement are not really new. But is there something new about this chasm that there seems to be between women, I don't know, around like 40 plus and 40 minus? Like there is a sense that there is a fundamental shift at that age in some way. I think about this all the time for myself because I really enjoy social media and I spend a lot of time on it and I have multiple accounts and I really get into it. But I'm very, very grateful that my fundamental sense of self was established long before it became such a presence in my life. So I feel in control of that. How old are you still, Mass? I just turned 42. I'm 44. But I, I feel the exact same way that I think I would have been paralyzed by the constant decision-making required to represent yourself online, to express yourself, to figure out who you are. I think I would be having regrets all the time. And yet, listening to some of the young women in this series, I have learned so much. They just seem so much more in touch with themselves. They seem smarter. They seem more sophisticated, analytical compared to anyone I knew 20 years ago at that age. Is that just me with pathetically rose-colored glasses or or what? No, I don't think so at all. I think I don't actually think it would have been worse necessarily to grow up this way. I just think it would have been fundamentally different. Mm. And I'm grateful that I can see both sides of it, that I was able to grow up in a world where that wasn't a constant pressure and that I did have a lot of room to make a lot of private mistakes, especially in self-presentation. I do think all these conversations are intensely personal and that we must resist the urge to pity or cast a sort of, oh, it's so sad that you have to grow up in this way. Like, I think the people I know who are engaged in this conversation and who are much younger than me seem to have a great handle on it Hmm. and like a really quite sophisticated understanding of the way in which we perform our lives and our femininity. And that's not to say that they don't have doubts, but there's this new sort of ability to own those doubts and talk about them and give language to them that seems to take the power out of those doubts. Yeah, I mean, let's think about the explosion of perspectives and voices that we are able to have now that we didn't have before. And it can be overwhelming to have to intake all these different people's opinions, but it's also incredibly empowering. There there used to be a very small number of people who controlled who got to say what, and now we can all just say what we're thinking and we can learn about each other. I find it an amazing time to be alive. Totally. Okay. So you're going to be back with me next week when we sort of dig into what some of the listeners have been telling us in response to this wonderful series, No Filter, joint collaboration between Note to Self and The Cut at New York Magazine. Also, your photographers have taken these beautiful pictures of all the women that we've spoken to. Please make sure you go check those out on the Cut website. Also, make sure you go to notetoselfradio.org to see some of the other things that we've got posted up there. Can I just say, this has been my favorite thing to do. I've loved 
every minute of doing this series. That's so great. So thanks for helping me. Yeah, we loved it too. Okay, we'll talk next week. Yes, listeners, next Wednesday. That's when we're back, and here's what we've got planned. Stella will be here to wrap things up. We've got one other special woman also who we want you to hear from. She's the perfect look at the future of women online. Also next week, we want to hear from each other, from you, what you're talking about, what you're thinking about. If you haven't contributed yet, please do go to notetoselfradio.org slash share to record a voice memo directly on the web with us, or you can just record a voice memo on your phone and send it to us at notetoself at wnyc.org. All the women that you've heard from this week, what has stuck with you and why? We want to know and maybe include your voice in next week's final No Filter show. If you haven't seen the portraits of the women we've talked to all week, they're worth checking out. Get your visual to go with your audio. Visit notetoselfradio.org or thecut.com to see portraits of software engineer Erica Joy Baker, YouTube star Lele Pons, actor Trace Lissette, artist Amy Sherald, war correspondent Christian Amanpour. No portrait of Barbara Kruger, though. That's not her thing. And fair enough, her words speak for herself. We are on the internets, Twitter, Facebook. I'm even trying to figure out my relationship with Instagram. You can check out my page at Manoush Z. Um, Use the hashtag ownit if you feel like it. It's cool. For now, the Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Justine Daum, Keegan Zima, Ernie Indradat, and Anya Zuzik for their help producing this very special series. Hannes Brown composed the music for No Filter. We also featured music from Weeping Icon in this episode. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. See you next week.